Hello, and welcome to Coffee and Comics. I'm Todd A. I am Taylor Trask. Good morning, Taylor. <laughs> Yet again, here we are. This we are. is uh, we're actually recording on Sunday for once. I know. Back in the morning. <laughs> That's what I was thinking. Um, so uh, this is the show where we talk about coffee and comics. What <laughs> what coffee are you drinking this morning? Clear. <laughs> um, yeah, we uh, because it is Sunday morning and I'm in a brand new uh, place to record. I decided to stop by Starbucks and just get. I had to, I got to get some food. A and B. I'm, you know, Starbucks isn't my favorite, but if I go there, their tall, flat white is probably the best. Like their tall, flat white is what a regular craft coffee shops, like normal latte would taste like. So it's, it's kind of like, you kind of get a little closer, you know, they charge a dollar more and it's, uh, but it's, it's fine. And it's good. If you're going to have Starbucks, I would recommend that. Um, And I also grabbed a, uh, one of their like organic turkey egg sandwich things for, food so man it's lovely yeah how about you uh well as you know because we have had 40 minutes of preview chatter before we hit record (laughs) um uh you heard me exclaim off mic when i did not know you had joined the uh the podcast uh i i'm i got some really nice coffee yesterday and i'm not gonna say the brand um but uh it was it was a, a a blend of roasts and of course i made it last night um, if you've listened to this podcast, you know, this is like my new year's resolution is to figure out how to make iced coffee for myself. That tastes really good. Um, not cold brew, but iced. So that means I brew it hot and then, um, I refrigerate it. And my one little hack is that I also make little coffee cubes out of it, put them in the freezer so that oh. it's not too watered down. Um, I don't think I knew that about you. Oh, okay. So that's been my, uh, yeah, my friend Eris suggested that because I was complaining that like mine would be a little too watery. Uh, and you know, and I needed it to be, I wanted it to be sort of richer and yeah, so I've been doing that for a while. So, um, I, I was making all this last night and it was a, so the roast I got was like a blend of, you know, this particular roasters, you know, stuff. Um, and I I was sort of skeptical, but it smelled pretty good. And as I brewed it, you know, when I got the first, uh, pot done, I could tell, I was like, man, this is not as dark. You know, that thing where it's like, mm-hmm. it looked like, like, like watered down, like Coca-Cola or something. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I went, ah, I'm not really sure. And so I, I do my whole thing, you know, I refrigerate one pot and I pour the other in the ice cube tray. And, uh, and I, every time I would walk back in my kitchen, I would go, man, it just doesn't smell like coffee. I'm going to like, <laughs> So this has been in my head since last night. And so then you heard me as I poured my first cup and just went, Ugh. <laughs> yeah. And for those of you listening, it, it, it there was, it was listen, he was listening to a podcast in the background that uh, unrelated to his comment, they had just made a, a they had made a line or something, or they'd said Very, something yeah. <laughs> and you are, you're sort of really it timed so perfectly. I was just like, what is his problem with this Yeah, with a, with a very gross detail from a true crime po- podcast. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. So I poured some milk into it, um, took another taste, didn't really like it, then put uh, some vanilla syrup in it. And I've determined maybe what I like about coffee is just vanilla milk. <laughs> <laughs> so I actually took a few sips and went, that's okay, but there's no coffee taste. It's like, you know, Todd, you know. they have you covered. You can go to any gas station or grocery store and just pick up like the 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 co- bottle of cold milk that just happens to have some caffeine in it. You know? 
Oh, gross, that's true. Or I could just get Dunkin' Donuts coffee. Boom. There you go. Burn yeah. on Dunkin' Donuts disgusting coffee. Um, anyway, <laughs> the other half of this show is that uh, we talk about comic books. And, we do. Um, generally, I let you set that up if you'd like to explain that part of the show. I like to tell people uh, that we are like the kids at the end of Reading Rainbow, <laughs> where we have a book that we like and we talk about it. We give a little pitch for it. And in fact, I, I, I hesitated just then because I'm like, do we do books that we hate? I don't think we have yet. I think it's only books that we personally have thought there was, you know, something interesting or, or um, you know, revolutionary or just, you know, just the quality of, of everything we kind of talk about in the show is, I think, up to a certain level for us. And we just want to make sure that you listeners have new stuff to check out when you walk into a comic shop. Because especially these days, a lot of shops, they're they're really well stocked on inventory and it can kind of be a little overwhelming when you walk in to go, where should I start? Hopefully this podcast is a way for you to, you know, walk in with some insider knowledge and, and give you a little bit more context. So when you go to pick up a book, you, you have some things to think about and you, you know what you're getting into. Well, I, I know that I ask you to explain that every week, but something about so many things that you said just now resonated with me as like things we should share out because one is that idea about, do we ever talk about books we've hate, mm-hmm. which is you and I have talked about that before, like as a policy sort of thing, like, is yeah. that, you know, yeah. what would we do if, because honestly, you know, I mean, uh, reviewing a, a long form like graphic novel or something every week uh, requires a little prep. And if we get behind and we're reading on Saturday and then we figure out we hate this, what are we going to do on Sunday morning when we're taking, yeah. you know? Yeah. Um, so that would be really intriguing. I mean, we don't really get a lot of like reader tweets and stuff back to us, but I would really like to know if anyone thinks, should we tell you what to avoid? You know, if we really mm. find something, cause I, I think we just in general want to talk about things we're enthusiastic about. Yeah. Um, but well, also, yeah, you know, one man's trash is another man's treasure especially exactly. with books. And so like we might, I might find something that I hate and you might be like, well, that's my new favorite thing. Like, and I don't want to, you know, I don't want to make discourage somebody from experiencing that. I mean, some of the, some of my favorite stuff I've seen people just rag on like, Oh God. And so I don't yeah. want to, I think there's so much good stuff out there. It's, it's, it, it might, and maybe we do like a special one-off, like, you know, the stuff we hate episode. <laughs> we can just crank through like all the books we never talked about. But at the same time, like the books I hate, I really don't want to give any new energy to, you know, yeah. it's like, you, you read it. You're like, that was a letdown. Yeah. Like, you know, you kind of want to just let it die there. You don't want to share it with the world. Necessarily. Yeah. I think if, if either of us took, you know, if we had decided I'm going to read this thick graphic novel this week and we dedicated a lot of time to it and then realized like, Oh, I'm not super enthusiastic about it. We would probably talk about it in those terms mm-hmm. rather than this sucks. Yeah. It would be more like, you know, I was really hoping for more, but it's, you know, um, we would probably play up the positive aspects too. For those uh, of you who want to hear what it sounds like when we don't like something, go find the American God's cast <laughs> episodes of the Todd and Taylor show, because for one bright, shiny moment, I thought, oh, my God, we're going to have a new show called American Gods Cast where we'll watch the show just like Game yeah. of Thrones. And we got about three episodes in where it's just like, oh, oh. my God, it's, it's, in, it's in this podcast feed. If you subscribe to Coffee and Comics, just scroll back because we used to call this show the Todd and Taylor show. And there's one called American Gods. We give up. Yeah. Yeah. And it's actually, and I, I re-listened to it recently and I was too. like, it's kind of funny just cause it's, you can just hear me. You can hear the, the, the just the, the disappointment and but yet anger and just sort of like, where do we go from here, Todd? Like it's just, it was, it's yeah. kind of funny just to see my heart broken that the show didn't turn out what it was like. Ugh. I thought it would. Yeah, that one, that uh, re-listening to that cracked me up so much because I had to work so hard 
to remember what we'd actually seen on that show, but yeah, it was clear sure. like in the moment that it was so fresh in my memory, you know, like in that episode where I'm going like, Oh God. And then this happens. And, <laughs> but in my well, presence, yeah. what's funny is I, I had the same feeling. And as I was listening to the episode, I was like, I was in my mind thinking, Oh, was this episode eight? I'm like, no, no, no. This was just episode three. And oh my God, the show was like, I thought in my mind, I'm like, maybe it wasn't as bad as I thought it was at the time. And hearing myself describe my feelings of episode three or four, I think, was it three or four? I think it was three. Actually, I think it was four, but I think it was our third episode because our big tip off should have been, we had this thought that we would do an American Gods cast, an American Gods cast every week. Yeah. And I had not read the books. It was going to reverse our Game of Thrones podcast where you were a book reader and I wasn't. And yeah, I was going to read the book at the end of the season. It was going to be this big, like planned out thing. And then in the second week, we skipped the podcast. And our so our second episode <laughs> is episodes two and three of the show. That's and right. that, That's that right. should have been like the tip off. Like, you know, we got out yeah. of number two and went, oh, there's not a lot to talk about there. And then just hearing myself recount like, oh, that's right. They don't make it to House on the Rock. Oh, that's right. Uh, the technical kid shows up at this weird, like uh, just so many things that just weren't. Yeah. Maybe we should, <laughs> maybe we should, we, what we should do is, is resurrect American Gods cast, but from a totally critical point of view where it's like every maybe, episode, like yeah. we just, we just, oh, you know, we lay down the hammer and <laughs> like challenge Neil Gaiman to like produce because Neil Gaiman's the showrunner now. So yeah. season two could conceivably be a lot better, a lot worse, more of the same. We don't know. Uh, more on that to come, Todd. Well, I, so to that, come. I got a good segue, which is the the other thing you said in that intro to our show theme is about us being like the curators of telling you like what we like. And so if you go into that comic shop and have that overwhelming experience um, and you're you're sort of like, I want to check out something new. We're, we're here to like provide those suggestions, you know, mm-hmm. but uh, in the way this is a segue is that I would say also talk to your friendly neighborhood comic shop clerk because they are excellent curators. Yes. And my pick to you comes courtesy of my uh, comic shop clerks Ooh, good segue. Um, who uh, uh, they host a book club and I had asked a couple of weeks ago, what, you know, what's the book club this week? And, and, and it turned out I was, it was actually that week I was going to be in Denver. So I couldn't go mm-hmm. to the book club. Um, but they said, Oh, it's Betty and Veronica, you know, cause all the Archie comics have been rebooted now. So mm-hmm. it's the Betty and Veronica collection. And I kind of went, Meh, and they, and then <laughs> she said by Adam Hughes. And I went, what? <laughs> <laughs> so I know Adam Hughes because there was this great run of Catwoman comics um, in the 2000s, I guess, uh, it started with Darwin Cook when they sort of rebooted the Catwoman uh, like thing. And, and Darwin Cook was doing the art when he's very dis- distinctly different from Adam Hughes. But then Adam Hughes started doing the covers for this particular run and it went really long and um, produced like super iconic Catwoman covers. Um, and, it, you know, so that went from like, I have a, a giant art collection book of his um, and I've gotten a bunch of sketchbooks of his like signed at uh, comic cons. And I, I just, you know, I love his work um, and could not believe that he was involved in one of these Archie comics. I just haven't been following. I sort of had this misperception of what they were doing with the Archie comics. You know, I, I had gone to one, I, like I'd gone to pick up one specifically because there was a variant cover 
where they had done like uh, Josie and the Pussycats or somebody they'd done the cover of the, of the issue was like a, a nod to a Ramones album cover. And I thought like, Oh, that'll be a good like collector's piece. You know, mm-hmm. that's, that's kind of up my alley. Um, and then I think there was one where like Tegan and Sarah were in a Josie and the Pussycats or something like that. Well, that's I, kind of perfect. <laughs> um, but I, you know, but mostly I was tuned out. Like I didn't, it never occurred to me to think about the story. Um, um, Adam Hughes wrote this story and illustrated it. And he, I mean, he's just one of those distinctive uh, old school, like, oh, I, I don't even know if old school makes sense, but he, but um, he's just a very distinctive artist. And, uh, his, you know, his, his style is, it's with, it's like definitely in the realm of the big two kind of superhero styles, mm-hmm. but it's also set apart. You know, it's, I would almost put it in, um, like, he's one of those guys that I would put with like, when Dustin Nguyen does covers that are like, it's a bat girl, but he's watercolored it or something. Mm, okay. Or, um, uh, oh, Ooh, in kingdom come, who's the artist. I keep wanting to say it's Mark Wade, but that's the, uh, author it's, um, Alex Ross. There you go. So, you know how he's totally set it apart. Like it's like sort of this is, you know, uh, Adam Hughes is not that, that grandiose, like Greek ideal of superheroes art, but Uh it just, he's in that school of like, he sets, he sits apart from them, I think. Um, And I believe I've been on this quest for a long time. Oh, it was at a, okay. The big story went to um, in uh, Colorado uh, with all the huge, like long boxes. Was that time warp? Yes. We went, so we went to this comic shop, you and I called time warp in Boulder. and I had been on this hunt for years for like uh, my friend, uh, my my friend uh, who is also named Todd. Um, he and I had talked about Adam Hughes a long time ago because he had said I had told him about you know liking this artist, and he was like, "Oh yeah, I loved his stuff on like Justice League." And I went, "What? When was he doing Justice League?" Hmm. And Todd, Todd told me about this whole run of like it was either Justice League or that one that's like the that's like sort of I don't know. There was another DC comic that was sort of a a parody of justice league um, that I can't come up with right now, but I looked at, you know, my local comic book shop and I'd looked at comic cons for this and I just couldn't find any, any of these issues. And, and that guy whose name also escapes my memory at time warp, I mentioned it to him and he took me right to the aisle Nice, (laughs) and was Uh, like, okay, let's think this was probably 94 or something like that. And then just chunk, he's right in it and, you know, pulls out a whole bunch of the samples. So, yeah, I went into this with uh, I not knowing what to expect. Like clearly feeling like I've mis, you know, perceived what the Archie reboot is about and I've misperceived what Adam Hughes can do like to tell a story. Mm-hmm. Um and it is and honestly for the you know first few pages uh even though I loved the art, I was thinking we're going to we're going to you know, if I don't read another book, this might be the first episode where I you know, have to say like, I don't know what to think about this book. I might've skewed negative on it. Oh, wow. But it, uh, wrapped up in like, basically it, once it, you know, once I gave myself over to it, to the sort of, I was a little resistant of the, maybe it's too corny for me or something. Mm-hmm. Once I gave into that, uh, it, it was great. It is not corny in like a, Jughead and Archie way. Mm-hmm. Uh, Hughes basically takes the characters, you know, it's like they have the names and they have the personalities, like, you know, uh, broad stroke personality sort of traits of the Archie comics, 
but this is it reads like a Dawson's Creek episode or something like that, or maybe even like a Buffy the Vampire Slayer kind of thing, where you know, aware of its own place in the in the culture, um, okay, and and just more, uh, even though these teens are quippier and wittier than you know any teens in the world, um, they you know, it just feels like, okay, we're just telling like a teen drama. Yeah. It's not, uh, you know, it's kind of, it's like more mean girls than, um, uh, than, than it is like that cartoonish. So, you know, than like Scooby-Doo or something it's, okay. you know, it's, okay. um, <clears throat> so, and especially with Hugh's style, which is just more grown up than that, like goofy Archie comics style. Um, and I know they're doing stuff like Riverdale and, you know, they're, they're just taking these characters and, and, and putting them in the current style of things. And I just think that that sort of suits. So it, uh, I, you know, the first, first thing that sort of caught me off guard was this is narrated by a dog. Um, and, <laughs> <laughs> and I forgot, I closed the, the page up, but the dog of course had, Oh yeah. He is a J J Farnsworth Wigglebottom the third. Um, but, uh, you know, due to what his humans have named him, you can call him hot dog. Okay. Uh, so I kind of assume hot dog was probably Jughead's dog or something. Yeah. Like yeah. Um, but Hughes has immediately taken it and turned him into this sort of omniscient narrator, you know, that <laughs> appears from time to time, like, Oh, ladies and gents, don't we find ourselves in a pickle here? Well, you know, <laughs> I, Jay Farnsworth Wigglebottom the third will help us navigate these, you know, difficult waters in our next sighting episode of, so it's kind of that thing. Like he's the, you know, opener and fills in some key uh, details from time to time, but it's mostly just a, a device to let you, the reader know the tone of the book. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Um, and there, and then Hughes does some cool things like uh, where he'll sort of, you know, he's, he's, winking like with the audience you know it's he's winking at you but it's like we're we're in on it together Mm. um and you know there's a gag in the middle where he totally breaks the fourth wall and says i I think i'm probably sure the dog oh yeah yeah the dog does say it he says i you know i gotta inform you now uh pages 19 and 20 of this book don't exist because i ate them um so i'm just gonna have betty and veronica uh, do a exposition drop here to catch you up to what you missed. And you know what? I'll just draw them in swimsuits since that's probably what you came here for. <laughs> um, that's awesome. So then you flip to the next page and it's totally white, but it's Betty and Veronica uh, in swimsuits sort of lying on the ground like you would like when you're a kid reading comic books. And then it's just tons of bubbles between them of like telling the whole story of like what, you know, supposedly was lost. Um, and so, you know, there's great little wall breaking stuff like that. Um, and it's, and Hughes is also, I, I, you know, I, I don't know where to place him on the, uh, cheesecake scale. I would say he's, you know, he's probably known for some cheesecake, but, uh, a little bit restrained in it. And I definitely felt like, like, honestly, when I read that thing, like, oh, they're going to be in swimsuits. I went, oh no, that's really going to break the tone of this piece if all of a sudden it's like super cheesecakey because then yeah, it, yeah. you know then it's like uh it's you know for a, a certain audience that i wouldn't have thought was had been along for the ride at that point but he didn't as far as i can you know judge from from my eye i would not say that that page is cheesecakey you know it's it's done in a way that they are not um hopefully being 
exploited in their in the images of Betty and Veronica, but it's uh, also probably a nod to like Adam Hughes and his own art of saying like that's what you would expect me to do, you know, is uh, draw them in in swimsuits. So here they are, but it's you know not as not as uh, graphic as some of his uh, sketchbooks I might have. <laughs> so anyway, but the the whole story proceeds along this like Dawson's Creek kind of Mean Girls nine hundred two one zero sort of high school thing. Um, you know, there's a, uh, 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 there's a big dance coming up and they've got to turn it into a fundraiser to save uh, pops, which I'm pretty sure that like Ian Ziering had to save the peach pit at some point. And, you know, it's like all built up along those tropes of like, how's this going to go? And uh, when it wraps up, it's like you, maybe you could have, you know, seen this ending coming from the beginning, like first pages, mm. but it's been done in such a clever way. Like a lot of the jokes kind of uh, work to distract you from thinking of the, the, uh, the like overall trope of the story, okay. you know, like he's kind of peppered in enough like banter between Archie and Jughead or, or, you know, Betty and Jughead or something like that, that uh, you, you you know you're aware of the things happening in the background but you're not focused too much on like oh we've seen this before Got so it, it, it okay. wraps up in a you know satisfying conclusion that yes you've you've probably seen before you could have anticipated in some way but i just thought like the way it got there was great um and i really love the the friendship he draws between these people uh and also i got to add i think this book uh passes the bechdel test <laughs> Oh my God. <laughs> because it is not about Betty and Veronica, you know, fighting over a man or being all uh, smitten with, you know, one of the gang. Um, everyone in it is like, there are these just, I, I, I like, I want to say platonic, but I almost feel like Archie and Jughead are the couple in this. It is not a platonic relationship. I mean, that's not the, that is not the text, but the sort of, you know, and it's not necessarily the way you're supposed to read it, like subtext wise either. It's just that, yeah, Archie and Jughead, their conversations are with each other. For know, those of you who uh, don't know what the Bechdel test is, it, it's, it, it applies to all fiction. So movies, books, TV shows. Yeah. But it, it basically asks the question, does, do, do at least two women talk, uh, talk to each other about something else other than a man? Right. <laughs> and if yes, then you pass it. If, if the answer is yes, then you pass the Bechdel test. But if not, if so many things well involve, described involve the woman or the women characters, at least having some kind of agency dealt, you know, based on the man or, you know, somebody's romantically obsessed with the man or the man has to solve their problem for them. So it's, which is fascinating because of, I would think the two stories where that would be the most difficult in comics would be Scooby-Doo and Archie. Yep. Um, you know, cause Scooby-Doo's got kind of equally weighted ma- male, female characters, Archie, the same thing. And traditionally, their female characters have been, um, you know, sort of at the, at the, not disposal of, but at the sort of whim of the male characters. You know, the male characters are the ones that drive the story. So it's, it's kind of great to hear that that's not the case here. Yeah, it's, you know, it is largely about Betty and Veronica's friendship and some things that go wrong in that friendship. Mm-hmm. And in the background or, you know, for like wandering through it are Archie and Jughead and their friendship and just the way they complete each other's sentences and joke with each other. I mean, it's clear that like 
uh, I, yeah, you know, I'm not saying it's like uh, necessarily, necessarily sexual, but it's like the affection is between Archie and Jughead and between Betty and Veronica. That's what we're mm-hmm. focused on. It's not about the girls fighting over the guys or something like that. And even uh, I think her name is Midge and Moose, who are like those sort of side characters, like the big jock and then um, his girlfriend. They are they're just affectionate with each other. You know, it's also not like a, a bat it's this is, yeah, this is not like a romantic battle for affections kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and it's also not just a bunch of, besides midge and moose. It's not about uh, boys and girls being coupled up, Yeah, you know? Um, and I, that was, that was really cool. Like it never just turned into something like that, which would have definitely hit the sort of cheese and the corniness factor. You know, if it, if it all turned out to be this elaborate romantic plot, I, I really would have groaned, yeah, you know? Yeah. Um, and, and I'll tell you like, so I, so I, I really enjoyed it. And then on top of that, this thing has like, I mean, this is the trade paperback. It's not like a hardcover special edition or anything. And there are probably, I, I don't know, 10 pages of uh, variant covers from Whoa. different artists. Damn. Um, and then there's a whole, uh, at the very end, there's an Archie Jughead story that is illustrated in the style of speed racer. And that, I did not care for, so yeah. I'm not even going <laughs> to review that. But I think um, you and I might have a similar distaste for Speed Racer, uh, much to the chagrin of of fellow comics fans. I just I can't. Well, except for that can't. movie, which was genius. Was it? I never yeah. I never yeah. even bothered to <laughs> to pick it up. I mean, I liked the Wachowskis, but I was like, I just can't. I don't care about that character at all. Like at all. I could <laughs> no, care it, less. Yeah, when you give a character just the name, like when you're just like hero pilot. I mean, yeah, like, yeah, exactly. Like, what do I care? Who cares? And like, and then they try to turn it into his first name. Oh, we all call him Speed. No, it's you not. did a great thing today, Speed. We can't. <laughs> anyway, so I. I get the meta uh, uh, commentary there of like the, that story. But yeah, I mean, I honestly, I read like three pages of it and went, I don't, I don't care. You know, it's not Adam Hughes art and it's not in that tone of the, the big story of the book, but all those, that cover gallery is so awesome. Nice. Um, Yeah. And, uh, and uh, again, I just had it open and then flipped it closed, but it, it had a bunch of our favorites in it. You know, I think Ramon Perez was in there and, um, uh, yeah, and I mean, if you were, if you have not already Googled some of the art from this, I, I just, I just think you'd love it. You know, it's, it's at times like a, you know, Norman Rockwell sort of painting style, mm-hmm. but just very cool. Um, yeah, there's a, a, a Cliff Chang um, cover. Uh, that's the Sex Criminals artist, isn't it? I believe. Oh, I don't remember. Um, and then. Um, yeah, yeah. Uh, flipping through. Uh, yeah, there, oh, sorry, Chip Zdarsky. That's the sex criminals artist. What's Cliff Chang on? Um, crap. Uh, listeners will correct me. Yeah, and a Ramon Perez, and um, yeah, just uh, awesome stuff. Cliff so, Chang is Paper Girls. That's right. Oh my god, I'm sorry. I got all my image titles. <laughs> I was like, he's not on uh, Saga. What is he on? He also <laughs> did, he's Paper also Girls. done a lot of Wonder Woman's in uh, or 2012 and 2017. So. Thank you for looking that up. But that's, uh, yeah. So I would wrap it up there. I mean, it's uh, I, I definitely worth my, my time. I'm so glad that I listened to the recommendation of my, uh, you know, comic shop clerks. Um, Once again, just say the title and the author for our, our listeners. Yeah, it is Betty and Veronica by Adam Hughes. Excellent. Well, I have a bit of a blast from the past as well. Um, it's a book that I've, it's, it's one of those that I've sort of been sitting on. I'm like, when I need just kind of my a go-to pick. Um, I'm going to use this one. And it's something that I read. 
long story short, I, I got back into comics in a big, bad way around 2014. And there were a few things that uh, drove that. One was Watchmen, as we've discussed, ad nauseum. Um, another <laughs> was uh, Injustice Gods Among Us, which was a game first, but then they did this excellent run of of single issues and then you know, ultimately collected volumes and stuff for Injustice, which I'll probably get to on a, on a future episode. But the third thing, and this might be more relevant, is DC's run of Masters of the Universe comics. And Ooh. I sort of got sucked into it. I was in a Barnes & Noble, and I, they had a trade paperback for kind of volume one of this, and it was really subversive. Like, it starts off where Skeletor um, basically wins and everybody's in sort of this weird mind trance. I'm like, what's this? And it, it was, it was really well done. And so I kind of, st- I started reading it, you know, single issues as it came out and the whole thing accumulated in a arc called eternity war. And if you're thinking that's awfully similar to another war that just happened <laughs> recently in another universe, um, it, it's because Eternia is the planet on which Masters of the Universe um, exists. And the Eternity War was sort of the final, like, and I mean final confrontation um, that would have like either destroyed the entire universe or not. And I'll, I'm going to focus mainly on that arc. There are two volumes, uh, two trades in the Eternity War arc. Um, and I read them all as single issues. I think there are one, two, three, four, five, 10, 15. There are 15 single issues that make up the entire Eternity War arc. So I'm going to talk, kind of include all of them. Um, and there's a lot of really good story here. There's a lot of sub stories to kind of get you set up. Um, oh, before I forget too, the, the writing is by Dan Abnett. And most of the art is by uh, Pop Man. And Dan Abnett has written... Um, Oh, published by DC uh, as well. DC's been been putting these out. Dad Abnett has written a lot of different things. He's written some Thanos books, some Titans books. Um, he did a, a thing for Warhammer. Um, he's written some like novels and things too. So he's kind of been out there in and around comics. Pop Man has drawn everything from uh, a lot of the Flash stories uh, to some Injustice stories. And then he's mainly been the main artist on all of these He-Man or Masters of the Universe uh, releases. He did not do... I don't believe he did the ter- I thought it was terrible, but there was this He Man and the Thundercats He Man and the Thundercats mashup that happened um, ended last year that I just hated, and I don't mm. think it was not his art. Uh, he may have been a consultant, but Potman does all the drawing on um, most of these books, and I think they've got some guest people here and there, but those are the kind of the main two guys. Uh, to get you up to the arc, and and I, I'm going to spoil just a little bit because the previous arc to this is all about Adora, um, He-Man's twin sister, or Prince Adam's twin sister. And it, it, the, the, that entire arc is about She-Ra coming um, into existence or come in and what that looks like. But they took a really freaking cool twist with it, largely that she is sort of the adopted daughter of, of Hordak. And that's true. And Hord- to give you, because Todd, I know you're not a Masters of the Universe fan. Um, <laughs> Basically, the, the main the He-Man's the main good guy. Skeletor is the main bad guy. In the original cartoon, they introduced later on, He-Man has his twin sister in an alternate dimension named Adora. She was kidnapped when she was a baby, and she was taken there by Hordak. Hordak is that dimension sort of version of Skeletor, um, kind of a, a, an all-powerful sorcerer sort of um, you know overlord kind of character. Well, in, in this comics run, Hordak is way, way worse than that. He's kind of immortal. He's been around for forever. He was defeated by He-Man's ancestor way back in the day. So he's been, his spirit or his soul has sort of been kept in this um, almost like 
tomb where he can communicate and, and affect, you know, affect things, but he's not physically there. And so he sends Adora over to the, you know, to Eternia to, to basically lead his horde, you know, his, his, uh, his horde army and conquer Eternia. That entire arc is about her um, doing that. And she's, you know, she's evil at first. And then she, you know, slowly discovers her past and, and slowly becomes She-Ra. And I, I will say this, uh, the moment that happens is I almost teared up because it was so damn powerful and just amazing. So Eternity War starts at the end of that. Shira has has just come into kind of being. Hordak has just um, figured out a way to emerge from this sort of cocoon he's been in, and he's in in physical body now. And he comes to Eternia, and he basically takes Castle Grayskull. Castle Grayskull in the mythology of the series is this is where He Man gets his power. It's the ancestral home of his of uh, King Grayskull, who's Adam's or He Man's like long long lost relative. He, King Grayskull is the one who set up you know the sword of power and, and all these things. Built Castle Grayskull. So at, the entire it, throughout all mediums, you know the cartoon, the toy line, these comics, Skeletor and Hordak are always trying to get Castle Grayskull because there's some secret there, some secret power that'll let them do crazy things, take over the universe, whatever you name it. Well, Eternity War finally lets us see what happens when Hordak or Skeletor take over. So Hordak takes Castle Grayskull, and the whole thing kicks off when um, he he basically transforms Castle Grayskull into like his um, you know his lair. And so they, the team, for the first time ever, is without Castle Grayskull. They're without a lot of things, and we they have got to fight Hordak because he's about to win. And the entire the entire arc takes you through that. There are some really crazy twists and turns that they had hinted at in previous cartoons or previous comics, but never either had the balls to do or the they thought the the audience was not you know advanced enough. Which I love because it's like this was written for kids who were around at the time who thought this could be so much more. Like the mythology could be so much you know, mine so much better. They're finally doing it. So it's like you can tell these people were like, you know, they, they thought exactly the same thing I thought when I was a kid watching this or later on when like they revived the uh, cartoon for, I think in the early 2000s, there was this really good cartoon on Cartoon Network that they were, they, you know, they revived the toy line. Um, I, I loved it. It was, it ran for about three years and it kind of stopped. And I think if they had done it today, it might've been more popular. But that, that said, the, the sub stories that they, they tell are amazing. There's one with Tila that is unbelievably good. If you know who Tila is, she's Man-at-Arm's daughter. She's also the daughter of the sorceress. Um, she has this sort of destiny that they've always hinted at. Um, you know, maybe she'll become the sorceress one day. Maybe something bad will happen. They, they show you that, like they take you through that. There's a whole thing where Skeletor, um, who had been sort of defeated in a previous arc, he comes back. And what he does is in, in, unbelievable. The whole thing ends in this just, I mean, they wipe the, the, the board completely clean and it ends in a really freaking satisfying way, but it ends in a way that they could, they could keep this comic going now for another 20 years and it would be totally fresh stories. Like they, they've exhausted, I think kind of the, all the old bits and pieces of, of the old mythology and really gave you a satisfying conclusion. Um, and they found a way too, by the way, to tie this into every other medium of He-Man. There's a, there's a scene where Skeletor, um, after he's come back, he, he assumes a little bit more power, but he talks about when he was away, he was able to travel through the dimensional nexus and see every incarnation of Skeletor that's always existed, whether it be the toy line or the old cartoon or the old comic or the movie with Frank Langella. Like he, they show it all. And he's like, and in every, every version of reality, I lose. And so in this, in this comics version, he was trying to avoid that. Um, 
And, and so it's, it's just really cool. Like they honor every part. It's not like the comics version is like the only version that exists. Like they, they absolutely acknowledge and honor all the previous versions of He-Man that have ever existed in a really cool way. Like they just, they treat it so well. And so as a He-Man fan, it was really cool to see like this thing that I was into. And, and it's worth noting, I've mentioned on a few episodes, I love Marvel. I love DC. I love these movies that come out, but I've never had that feeling that I think maybe you've Todd have had, uh, maybe have had, or I've, I know like Kevin Smith and like those kinds of people have, you know, they, they've said, I never thought in my lifetime I would see, you know, uh, guardians of the galaxy on screen. Or when right. I saw, you know, I saw, um, uh, Thanos on, on, you know, on the mo- on the screen for the first time I cried. Cause I, I'd always wanted it. I never knew we'd get it. And I, I, I appreciate that, but that's never been me because I never, as I was never a comics fan of the big two as a kid, you know, that was later in life. If they ever put He-Man on screen, I will have that reaction. Like if they ever do a really good He-Man movie, um, that I Dolph mean, Lundgren one was standing, you know, like, <laughs> that's what I, I say. well, Frank Langella in that movie is the best Skeletor we'll ever get. So I'll just say that right now. But like, if they were ever, if they were to put a new He-Man movie up that was good today, I would probably tear up immediately after seeing the first trailer because I want these characters mean a lot as much to me as you know the DC Marvel characters mean to you know other folks who were around the seventies and eighties. I think this comic is is the next close step to that because this comic treats these characters with respect, but also it acknowledges some of the more ridiculous aspects. Like there are characters that were created purely for toys, like Fisto. You know, he's a guy whose <laughs> whose fist is big and can like punch through walls, and his name is Fisto. Or there's like a B character, like an evil B character called Buzz Off. You know, so like in the comic, they'll actually acknowledge how ridiculous some of these names are and everything. And they they really weave together all these different pieces in a way that makes it legitimate, makes it cohesive, makes it, you know, there's there's some tongue-in-cheek stuff, but it makes you feel like, God, these guys care. This wasn't just a like schluff off thing for DC to make some money. They actually like the like Abbott really freaking um abnet sorry really freaking cares about these these characters so it's really satisfying to see that and again i i could spoil a lot along the way i really don't want to there it's it's as interesting as game of thrones because there are twists and turns and different factions trying to you know take over castle grayskull just because hordak has it or 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 succeeds in taking it does not mean he's going to hold it um you know there are there's backstabbings and and twists and turns and like allegiances change and you know people are corrupted and then brought back it's it's amazing it is unbelievably amazing there's i will i will tease one thing at some point there is a sort of dark flash forward that adam has um that shows what happens when if he-man were to win what would occur and there's like a whole issue that plays out and you realize if he-man wins in the way we want him to it it's gonna be bad and it it shows why that is so it's it kind of takes that off the table so you're like crap how the hell are they going to pull this off? How is there going to be a resolution to this that works? And that keeps you guessing kind of right up until the very end. It was, it was spectacular. I just, I can't, I can't say enough about it. And I'm, I'm even more excited if they pick this back up again, they leave that last issue with so many like things in place. Like you realize a certain character may not be dead who you thought was dead. Uh, Castle Grayskull is, is, is different very, very different. And like, you know, what He-Man is as a character is very different than what you think he should be. It just ends in a really cool place that they could just keep, keep this going. So I hope they do. So um, when, when did this run? This ran, uh, this particular arc ran from 2014 to 2016 okay. and it was monthly. 
Um, so it took them, you know, for to get 15 weeks out, took them a little while. There was one or two crossover events. If you're a big DC fan, there was a actually um, there was a He-Man uh, Superman crossover where He-Man mm. and some of the characters get pulled into the DC universe, like on Earth. Um, and it's strangely has something to do with Prince Adam's mom. She's from Earth, and then so like she's you know she's there, so he gets sucked in, and then you realize that. I'm just going to say th- this is kind of a spoiler, but, but if you're interested, like this, if, if you're a He-Man fan, this is going to make you go, what? Orko is a villain at some point in this. <laughs> Orko becomes a big bad. And if you're like, if you're thinking like Orko, like the little goofy magical magician character, yes. Orko becomes a villain in this story and especially in that crossover event. So if that is interesting to you, go pick this up. Um, I would recommend it's, it's tricky to talk about this arc because this arc is kind of like everything you ever wanted, but you really kind of want to go back and see how we get there. Um, you can definitely start reading the eternity war arc at the beginning at uh, issue. Oh, what is it? It's issue. No, it, I think they just start over the numbering. So it's eternity war number one, and it ends with eternity war number 15. I forget in the, in the run of like the, the masters of the universe DC run, I think it's probably issue maybe 29 or 30 where it starts or maybe, maybe later, but it's eternity war issue one is the beginning of it, but you can start there. Um, I would go back though. I'd go back and, and read some of the earlier ones too, either after you finish the arc or before you start, because it's, it's all really fulfilling. Um, but it's, now, I mean, somebody like you, you remind me, you were not a, you were a little too old to be a masters of the universe or He-Man kid in the eighties, right? Yeah. Just just by a little, it was like one of those weird things too, where a lot of fandoms as a kid, even though I was probably in the right age, it, my brother and I sort of divided them up, you know, like he was into He-Man, so I wasn't, you know. Got it. Okay. Um, yeah. You know, I he was, I was into whatever, you know, one of us got Transformers, the other got GoBots. Oh, uh, okay. <laughs> okay. Oh, that's interesting. Uh, so yeah, so, so if you're not into He-Man, like definitely like just the mythology of it is and if you're a game of thrones fan like you'll dig this if you're he-man fan it's going to mean way more to you because there are little winks and nods to things Mm -hmm. that like i said like that you wanted as a kid or that you saw in the cartoon you're like oh i wish they'd go through this door and show us what's back here like they do that in this run so um so there's a there's a lot going on is is the eternity war arc collected in a trade paperback or a you know hardcover edition yeah, there's two. There's volume one and volume two. I don't think they've done a hardcover yet. I've been keeping okay. an eye out for like a really good omnibus of uh, either Eternity War or some of these like newer, um, newer He-Man you know run issues. I, maybe they've done it. I haven't seen it yet. Uh, I would love that because I'd love to see some DVD extras and stuff in there too. Um, one thing I will note: if you end up getting the single issues, the covers typically have nothing to do <laughs> with the issue, <laughs> or the covers hint at something that's that's still a long ways away. Right. Um, which was a little confusing because they'd show you, you know, like, um, you know, when you finish the issue, they would, they would give you a teaser for the next month's issue. So they'd usually give you either the cover art, uh, the title or like a little like preview with the cover. Like, yeah, here's what you can expect. And you'd see the cover going, Oh my God, this is going to happen. And then it doesn't, it's more of a, just a a concept. Once in a while, you'll see something that's, that lines up pretty well. So, Um, what is the art like? I mean, how would you describe that for some? Is it, you know, is it like the cartoon or is it more like superhero art? Oh, no, it's very superhero. It's, it okay. does not look like the cartoon at all. Um, it's, it's very, it's epic. Um, it's just really, I'm trying to pull up a page or two here. Um, yeah, if, if you, 
if you like Injustice, if you've read those books, it it because he's uh, um, oh my god, I just forgot his, his name. Um, the artist has has worked on a lot of those too. Um, but yeah, it's traditional paneling, traditional uh, speech bubbles. Um, coloring is you know what exactly what you'd expect from uh, you know Superman or 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 a Marvel book, but because it is DC, it, it probably feels yeah. more like a DC book than anything. It's, it's got some of that aesthetic that you'd expect, but um, I'm definitely into it. One of the reasons I hate the He-Man Thundercats crossover so much is because the art is so just bubbly and weird and not, mm, I was gotcha. so used to this really good kind of just streamlined art from these, these um, eternity war books. By the time they announced that, that crossover, I was just like, I just don't, I can't get into this. It's not even, and that crossover is not even based on the same timeline. It's almost like its own separate, complete pocket story yeah. that is completely separate from this. That was really disappointing. So does, um, does He-Man have his like Dutch boy haircut? No, no, <laughs> they, they, uh, they make it, they make it a point to try to make these, uh, make, make a lot of the stuff that was ridiculous look real like look realistic in this, um, whether it be his haircut, you know, the sword, you know, you know, looks good. The way Skeletor is presented looks, looks good. Um, you know, this, it looks like a comic, but it's, it, it's completely appropriate for what it is as a comic. Like you just, the colors, like the one thing about He-Man that I always liked was that every character is very colorful, right? Like yeah, trap jaw, you know, trap jaws that, you know, is, is purple, blue, green, red Skeletor is purple and blue. Like Hordak is red and black. Like there's just all these characters just, just pop so much um, as toys, as cartoons, and especially as comics. Like they just, it's, it just makes a lot of sense. Um, one thing I'll mention kind of as a, I should have mentioned this in the beginning, one of the very first comic books or, or, tr- you know, graphic novels I ever purchased was when I was seven. Um, seven or eight, the movie had just come out, the Dolph Lundgren movie and the bookstore, I think it was Walden books had kind of just a run of He-Man comics. And there was this one that I grabbed that was fairly short, you know, it was meant for kids, but it was, it was kind of advanced. It was, you know, it was He-Man in a story that they could only tell in comics at the time mm-hmm. um, because it just would have been way too expensive to do as a cartoon. And I, I've kept that this entire time. So when I really got back into comics again, that was one of the first things I pulled out of my childhood library and put on my comic shelf. Cause I'm like, man, this still holds up. And so it was really cool to see that and then jump into this. Uh, Cause it kind of felt like a nice little continuation of that, of that sort of style and aesthetic of, of He-Man story. Yeah. And it looks like they put pants on He-Man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. The gone is the little, uh, you know, little barbarian underwear. He, yeah. Uh, then they, they take, He-Man actually goes through a couple of different transformations. Like as he, kind of finds new conduits of power or he learns some new thing or some new secret. Um, you know, his sword will change or his costume will change or, or something to that effect. So it's, it's good, but man, I, I tell you like there's the mythology in this. I've said that a few times, but it, it's true. They just, they play it up so nicely. You feel like they just really honor the source material and they add onto it with a lot of adult, you know, sort of themes and ideas that I wouldn't necessarily as a little kid, I, it would have been almost too much for me. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's definitely meant for people who are in their twenties and thirties now or older, but who, you know, were kids at the time who want this to be treated with you know seriousness and respect, but also a little fun. Well, it's interesting. And, and it's great that like, you know, again, we don't know what the other of us has picked for, for the book to discuss. So it's, it, it does kind of go hand in hand with that Betty and Veronica thing. And although that's not, uh, the Archie family is not something I grew up with. Um, there is that that aspect of this book where it's like Adam Hughes 
uh, telling a story to people around my age, you know, like sort of no, like that, I think kind of, you know, that can forgive a lot of the, the cheesiness or the corniness of resurrecting one of these old intellectual properties, you know? And it makes me think of like, what would, like, I can almost see I now again, I wasn't like a huge fan of this, but I can see a telling of Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles yeah. that would be like that. Like, let's like turn that into something interesting, but you would have to talk to the audience that grew up with it. So you'd have yeah. to be, you know, it would have to be addressed to an older audience. And I think what was, and I didn't see him, but I think what was off about those Michael Bay movies was they were trying to resurrect it for kids, Yeah, you know, and maybe make it more violent or something, but it's like, yeah, but it's still like cheesy. And, you know, and that's kind of what happened with the Transformers movies was you're not, you're not, you're not hitting the right audience with this. And those older people are going to it and they're upset because it's not for them, you know? So, I would say, I though, but that first Transformers movie, I really liked mm. um, because I think that was the as close as we're ever going to get to the transfer. Like, like you know, the, the cars made sense, even though Shia LaBeouf was in it. Like, it, he made sense in it. Like, this, you know, it kind of – everything about it made sense. Like, Megatron's been sort of frozen in stasis. And, you know, he turns into a plane. He, he doesn't turn into a gun, but he turns into a plane and he has like a gun sort of ability. I just, and the soundtrack was cool. It just seems like that they could have just stopped right there. And then everything since then has just been ever more ridiculous where now it's like you got Optimus Prime riding a giant dinosaur dragon robot inexplicably, like, you know, brandishing some giant sword and, and, uh, uh, yeah, I just it, Mark Wahlberg's running around for. I, I I don't get how those movies can still be made. I just don't. But to your point about Ninja Turtles, that's a tricky one. That started off as a graphic, as as a comic, and as actually kind and, of. And a, a, yeah, you know, and it was sort of told to an audience that got the joke of how absurd it was. It wasn't told to kids. No, you know? exactly, exactly. Yeah, and, and then like the kid, the kid angle. I mean, I was one of them. Like when that cartoon came out, I was like, oh my god, this is great. But I don't think the I don't think I could have gotten into the turtle comics at the time. So now it's the trick with the turtles is that there are so many mm-hmm. different comics that have been. I mean, like everything from the original run to their crossover where they join up with Batman to <laughs> um, some of these. Like they kind of delved into like once they go into space, it gets really crazy and it's really hard to keep track of. Like for me, the turtles were at their best when it was you know Shredder was the main antagonist and. They were carefully like trying to find like he was trying to create new mutants to to battle against them, and that's when you get some of your crazy like you know your other characters. But like once they get into space and there's like time traveling dinosaurs and shit, like I just can't, I just can't follow them down that road. But you're right, maybe there's a version of this. Although you know what, that first Ninja Turtles movie, it's it's interesting. Think about the the first Transformers movie. And think about the first Ninja Turtles movie. That first Ninja Turtles movie was like as as earnest and as grim as I think we'll ever see. Mm. Like that thing was. I even think back now, like it at the time, it it could they have gone they could have gone really hokey and cartoony, and they tried to they made that thing as grounded as they possibly could. Yeah, it was a Jim Henson Muppet head, but I you know the the color palette was dark. Um, I thought you meant the first Michael Bay movie. You mean no, no, no. Sorry, the first Ninja Turtles movie. Yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And it's like, and and, you know, that first Ninja Turtles movie of you know when they rebooted it a couple years ago was the complete opposite. Like Michael Bay produced that one, and that one was just like you know, as much as I love Tony Shalhoub, he doesn't need to be voicing Splinter. You know, it's just (laughs) that just didn't 
none of that made any damn sense. So it's like you compare those two movies. It's almost like that original 1988-89 Turtles movie was like it was what Christopher Nolan's Batman movies were. You know, it's like we're going to make this feel serious and grounded and like, you know, Krang wasn't running around trying to bring his spaceship into like Shredder was like a guy from Japan who started a underground net criminal network in New York, largely based on kids, on, on teenagers. Mm. And you're like, that makes sense. Like I'm, I'm in, I'm but like, that's something that, that Christian Bale's Batman would have, that that's an aesthetic that would have fit in really well with that movie. Um, I don't know why I got off on that tangent, but that's, that's, <laughs> I just feel like I think with He-Man, the trick is if they, and I know they've been talking about a He-Man movie for forever. The trick is going to be they can't treat it too seriously. They've got to make it look killer, right? So they can't – like if they can do as much practical effects as possible, I think that would be the key. But they have to acknowledge that you know these characters were ma- built based on toys or stories and characters that were meant to just sell toys. And a lot of them were cranked out like three a week, you know, well- so – I mean, one of the great things that Guardians of the Galaxy gave us was a template for that kind of movie. Bingo. Like, yes. You know, just uh, like <laughs> Rocket is a, a ridiculous character. Groot is a ridiculous character, you know, but they really they really put it in a in a context that made sense. So I, I you know, if they could take it that way, that might work. I'm just now I'm sad that I don't I mean I don't I don't see a world where James Gunn does He-Man, but god damn it. <laughs> if, there, <laughs> if there's somebody who's ideal for it um yeah can you imagine if he didn't if if guardians didn't happen and instead he did he-man in a similar sort of tone like that would be the franchise we were like that we'd be talking about right now like marvel would still be doing its thing but like to just see he-man kind of take that mantle now it's even easier like we mean thor ragnarok exists right yeah good point we're in a world where that happened and was the most popular thor movie of all so it's like I worry that whoever does He-Man is going to try to make it too. They're just going to miss the tone. They're going to miss the, you know, like the, you keep it serious. Like Skeletor is a badass character. You make him, you know, you, you grind, you ground him in some sort of like, you know, delusions of grandeur so that he makes sense. But like when you introduce a character called Stinkor, who is like literally a, a skunk man. And like, that's his, yeah. that's his like, you gotta, you, that can't be serious. Maybe it's one of those things like with Deadpool, like where the, you know, he has like the, you know, how the X-Force is assembled and quickly spoilers quickly, you know, they all die. Totally, like yeah. <laughs> maybe it's one of those things where it's like, you know, Skeletor brings forth like this, you know, all the, like the, the tier two or tier three, like characters and they all just die immediately. You know, something like that could be really fun. That's a really good point too. They could do a He-Man movie like a Deadpool movie. Like if you could pull that off in a PG rating or something, you know, that would be pretty funny. Like but, making fun of itself yeah. as He-Man or... You know, but, because I mean, I Cable was a pretty serious character. You know, uh, you know, I, I like you could do that with Skeletor. You could, but here, but the thing about He Man is, like, He Man's not like Thor, right? Um, he he is in the, like the physicality and like you know how he wields like a weapon that's kind yeah. of like the ultimate weapon. But what He Man is is like, it, remember, He Man is at, at his heart is Prince Adam, the smug sort of you know like self-absorbed kid you know is like you know 17 18 year old kid who's next in line for the throne who has lived his entire life in relative peace suddenly skeletor emerges onto the scene and it's the first time that eternia has been threatened in this way for a long time and he, prince adam has to you know he finds the sword that when he sh- when he shouts out by the power of grayskull he gets all the power he needs to fight off this evil yet he still has the maturity and the you know courage of a 17 year old kid 
So like, what does that look like when he has to, you know, he has to have this dual identity. So it's kind of like Superman. He's got to like learn to, you know, he's got to grow and learn and, and, and take on the responsibility and learn about who he is as a man when he's He-Man. So kind of like Shazam or kind of like, you know, yeah, um, Batman year one, even to some extent. Um, and he's got like this kind of like host of characters that are all like based on fantasy or technology um, in a really kind of cool hybridized way. So it's like, it, it is sci-fi fantasy and it, it, it's, so anything is possible except for time travel. Well, eventually. <laughs> so it's like, there's, there's this element, like I want to see like this hero's journey of this kid, like this Luke Skywalker kid who, who, you know, becomes this kind of character. Um, but then there's like, you know, in the comics, I love, especially in this run of comics, like Tila is, is like the Tony Stark of the, of the whole thing. She's constantly giving him shit. She's, you know, she, in the, in the original cartoon, she was more like, you know, timid and, you know, she was kind of a warrior woman, but she was very much timid and very kind of much relegated to the, the female sort of Mary Sue kind of like, you know, she's off to the side in this. She's very capable. Um, you know, she's there. They always kind of flirt with that romantic thing between her and Adam, but she's such a tomboy. She's such a, like, just no bullshit, just no nonsense, you know, trying to prove her way character. That's where some of that Deadpool humor could come from. Mm. Um, you know, like if you throw Orko in, like there could be, there, there are characters where that would be more than appropriate, but I don't want the whole thing to be a, a comedy. Like I want it to be. I think Thor is the right balance of com- of comedic elements and sort of the, mytho- the mythological. Like the way they did Hela, yeah. Like you can't watch Thor Ragnarok and watch what Kate Blanchett did with Hela and not think that could evil easily be Evil Lynn from from He Man. Like that was basically Evil Lynn as a character. Like, that's what that character was. Right. So it's like you could totally do it. Um, and they're they're gonna do it. I mean, we're not gonna like you and I are not gonna see the end of this life before they we see another he-man movie i just i i, I shudder at what it could be compared you know in the negative sense compared to what it could be if they just if they really thought about these things if you give it to taika watiti we're good to go <laughs> i hear what you're saying you're saying put dwayne the rock johnson in a dutch boy wig <laughs> and print that, it well, there's i mean <laughs> <laughs> sorry i'm derailing us again i we we should wrap this up <laughs> I just, well, as soon as you said that, I'm like, that's the obvious comedic SNL choice. But right. like, here's, think about what they did with, with um, Chris Evans and Captain America, right? Like they, they had to CGI him as like the weakling little kid. Yeah, yeah. But like once, and I think they CGI'd him a little bit too when he was buff, especially when he comes out of the machine for the first time. Like when he's shirtless, he looks yeah. a little unnatural. But like the way he plays that character of like, hey, I was this guy and now I'm, now I've been given this chance to be this like stronger kid. Like, the sort of gravitas he brings to that role. It's not cheesy, right? Yeah. It's like, you believe in that guy. Like, I think that's, if you can find a character, find an actor who could, and, and not Charlie Hunnam or any of those guys. Like I think there's somebody out there could really pull that off. I think, I think Shazam's going to be a good litmus test mm-hmm. um, because of how Zachary Levi and then the kid who's playing Billy Batson, how they play off each other uh, is going to be, I mean, they're never in the same scene together, but how they sort of thread that needle of yeah, hey, we're the same guy, but one's got a lot of powers and one's you know a little weaker. Um, or it, and maybe they pull like Charles Webso, who's uh, who hosts the Hardy Boys drink uh, drink cast. He mentioned like there's two versions of Shazam. There's the one that we we know, whereas you know Billy Batson says Shazam and he becomes originally Captain Marvel, but now Shazam. Like and they're the same guy. You know, like right. he is Billy's mind is in this body, this big grown up body. And he just has all his powers. So it's like big. It's that the other version of Shazam is he says Shazam. And it's almost like Etrigan. 
Billy Batson goes away and this like Shazam character appears and they are two different. It's almost like he summons him from another dimension. Right. And Shazam is like, you know, Billy Batson's the more mature of the two. You know, Shazam's this like showboating kind of guy, this other character. And Billy Batson has to kind of like be the, the sort of grounded centered character. So it's, I don't, I could see He-Man going both ways in the, in the canon. It is more like the former where it's, you know, Prince Adam is still there. He just has this newer body and new powers. It would be interesting if He-Man was, if they played with it where he could be a different person entirely. You know, like when Prince Adam says that, like he goes away and like this other guy appears. I don't know. It's, if you like He-Man and you like any of this, please give me a shout on Twitter. <laughs> I'm by Taylor Trask. Please let me know what you think. Cause this, and, we could talk about this all day long. So the book is called masters of the universe, eternity war. It exactly. Is not, it is not He-Man anything. It is masters of the universe. Right? Uh, it is. He, uh, uh, well, it's actually the masters of the universe. In this case, it is actually He-Man colon the eternity war. Oh, okay. Um, but, but the masters of the universe, um, title is is it's all under the masters of the universe kind of series from dc and then it's like you know it's that starts with he-man and the masters universe volume one uh blah blah, and they they do a bunch of origin one shots which are really good too but like yeah this particular one's he-man colon the eternity war and i uh, highly advise you get all 15 issues uh they're broken into two volumes and um you will not be disappointed if you are a fan of that series do you have a print or digital uh, uh recommendation there I read every single one of these digitally. Oh, okay. Wow. And I think that works better because you want to feel, it makes it feel more like it's a, an actual movie or, or cartoon because you get like one panel at a time. And there's some surprises that I'm glad I didn't get spoiled if I was reading it physically. Right. Um, If they do like an omnibus version or a director's cut version, I'll probably get the physical, but uh, I just, I don't think it's, I think the colors, I think it actually serves it better digitally because the colors, like I said, every character and every location is very lush. And it actually enhances it to have a little light behind the, the screen. Oh, okay. A little bit of extra push. So I would say go digital, at least at first. Cool. Well, uh, while people are going digital with that, where can they find us? We are online. Uh, search for Coffee and Comics with Todd and Taylor wherever podcasts are found. Tell your friends. Uh, we're on Google Play. We're on Apple Podcasts, uh, Stitcher, Pocket Casts. And um, you can also find us online. I am by Taylor Trask on Twitter and Instagram. And I am Hey Todd A from those places. And uh, please let us know, like, uh, get us, give us comments, write reviews. If you like the show, if you don't like the show, uh, write a review, let us know. If you liked it, tell your friends um, to subscribe or at least check out an episode or two. And uh, yeah, we'll see yeah. you guys next week. 